We're starting today on a somber note. Mm. Yeah, there's been a lot of winning going on lately with the Supreme Court and all that stuff, but we should celebrate that, of course. But when there's a winner, that also means there's a loser. So let's have a little sympathy for today's losers. Democrats and leftists around America. Big, big losers and really big, fat losers. Pathetic losers. Really sad losers. They've had to deal with the horrendous tragedy of seeing the Constitution upheld. That old dusty document keeps getting in the way of all their hopes and dreams. Kind of like so many unborn children up until this week or so. My heart goes out to them. They were gut punched with Roe and kicked in the face with Coach Kennedy. And now they're getting torn limb from limb out there. The Constitution has been winning for centuries, even if it's held back for a few decades here and there. It always seems to find a way, and that's mean. We can be excited to witness one of its biggest victories in history. But let's take a moment to reflect and remember the biggest, fattest losers who are flooding TikTok right now and showing the world just how big of a loser they really are. Are. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu, the place for winners. Tim Barton is going to let me play with priceless historical artifacts. That should be fun. Inflation overtakes COVID as the most concerning problem in the country, but we start by doing the January 6th circus. January 6th. When I say January 6th, what do you think of? You probably think of all the storming of the Capitol that went on. And that's, of course, the main thing that the left wants you to do. They want you to remember January 6th at all costs. Let's take a step to remember a more important date. Might I present to you 6-24-22. Yes, last Friday. 62422. The stuff is all available now at stewdoesmerch.com. If you want to show that you support the Roe versus Wade decision without having a shirt that has fetuses all over it, I would recommend this one. 62422. Check it out now. Stewdoesmerch.com. Use the code Stew10 to save 10%. I want to go through some of the testimony from yesterday in the January 6th situation. And why do I want to do that? Well, look, I am a person who would like to know some things about January 6th. I think there are some interesting nuggets that could be mined out of trying to figure all this stuff out. How did this happen? You know, I thought to myself, I remember on January 6th thinking, why wasn't there security there? Why wasn't there enough security to stop a riot like this from actually taking place? What if next time it's Al-Qaeda? What if next time it's ISIS? What if next time it's some scary organization that really does want to come in and start murdering people inside the Capitol? Shouldn't we have something we could do about that? So there are things that, in theory, could be valuably learned from something like the January 6th committee. But of course, this committee does not seem to actually care about that. They seem to be wanting to smear people. So yesterday, there was a a big surprise committee meeting. Testimony from one Cassidy Hutchinson. Now, Cassidy Hutchinson was the chief of staff of the chief of staff. Mark Meadows, his chief of staff. Cassidy Hutchinson. So in some ways, she is a pretty interesting witness. She's someone who was there the whole time. She was in the middle of a lot of these big meetings. She didn't, you know, start working for Donald Trump for the first six months and then start hating him. She was there right at the end. And so anything that she says is going to get some attention. It's going to be interesting to see what that was. But 
Instead of taking what she said and picking out what is important and what isn't, the left has tried to extend this and make it into the biggest deal of all time. Let me just give you a taste of this. The Atlantic said the most damning January 6th testimony yet. Cassidy Hutchinson, January 6th bombshells. Insider Cassidy Hutchinson, explosive January 6th testimony could land Trump in legal jeopardy. Former aides say this is a bombshell, says CNN. Trump aides left speechless by Hutchinson testimony. Cassidy Hutchinson's January 6th testimony painted a picture for the history books. Behold Mark Meadows, doom scroller in chief, feckless, indifferent, or both, says Esquire. MSNBC, Hutchinson testimony. Yes, why? Cassidy Hutchinson's January 6th testimony blew the roof off of Trump's defense. Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony should be the end of Donald Trump. Wow, must be a big bombshell in there. Cassidy Hutchinson's surprise January 6th testimony exposes the violence that fuels Trumpism. Wow, I mean, that is quite the buildup. It seems like the whole thing is about to shake apart. I mean, first of all, Donald Trump doesn't have anybody on the committee. He doesn't seem to be making any defense to much much of this stuff. He's kind of viewing it from afar. But if that blows up his, his defense, if he might be thrown in prison, if it exposed the violence, well, of course, we want to hear about that. But is that actually accurate? Let's go through a couple of the big parts of this testimony and try to translate it because the media seemed to see to be reading and hearing a different language than I was. Let me try to translate the media BS to English for you so that you can understand it. Here is Cassidy Hutchinson talking about uh, the, the day of uh, January 6th. Trump makes his speech. He gets in the beast to the presidential limousine and then all hell breaks loose. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. And was Mr. Engel in the room as Mr. Ornato told you this story? He was. Did Mr. Engel correct or disagree with any part of the story for Mr. Ornato? Mr. Engel did not correct or disagree with any part of the story. Did Mr. Engel or Mr. Ornato ever after that tell you that what Mr. Ornato had just said was untrue? N- neither Mr. Ornato nor Mr. Engel told me ever that it was untrue. And despite this altercation, this physical altercation, uh, during the ride back to the White House, President Trump still demanded to go to the Capitol. Now, this is pretty interesting because we were told for months and months and months that the president wanted to get the hell out of there and go back to the White House because he didn't care about the chaos down at the Capitol. He didn't want to be anywhere near it. He wanted to live his life in the West Wing in safety while everyone got into a riot down at the Capitol building. That narrative now has completely flipped over. You are now supposed to forget that that was the narrative just a few weeks ago, and you have to embrace this new narrative that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol so badly but was being stopped by a Secret Service. Now, 
to me, it's not at all surprising that the president would want to go to the Capitol and be with his voters, his supporters, his most passionate supporters. When 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 you like Trump, Trump likes you. That's kind of the way we've seen this go for a few decades of public life for Donald Trump. And he was very interested in being down there with what he saw as his people. Of course, if he was actually assaulting Secret Service agents, that's not okay. And that would not be okay. In fact, we would be calling him out on that. The only problem with this narrative is it doesn't seem to be true at all. In fact, the Secret Service agent who was actually uh, involved in this incident has, you know, and Secret Service agents not necessarily normally the type of people who volunteer information to you. Uh, He's decided to come out and testify that Trump did not lunge at him. So this is the big takeaway from the testimony yesterday. The number one claim, the dramatic claim everyone was talking about. He was going after the clavicle. There is an anti-clavicle cause in the Constitution. President can't violate that, cannot touch anybody's clavicles. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Anyway, this whole idea that the president came after him and almost tried to choke him or break his collarbone, I don't know, immediately shot down by the person who supposedly told the story. And that's the thing here. This is not firsthand information from Cassidy Hutchinson. She's coming in to tell a story that someone else allegedly told her. Now, we will find out from the actual testimony from the Secret Service whether that's true or not. Did he maybe say that story and embellish it a little bit? Maybe there was a a confrontation of sorts that didn't escalate to this level, and that's the line they're drawing. We don't know for sure yet, but what we do know is it seems as if the Secret Secret Service agents that were supposedly involved in this situation are saying it wasn't true. That should be enough for you to turn it off, right? Like, that should be enough to say, okay, well, that's, why are we talking about that? Yet the media, as I just showed you, over and over and over again, said this was incredibly important, groundbreaking, bombshell testimony. Well, if the biggest claim in it has already been uh, 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 disagreed with and denied, not by a political appointee, not by, I don't know, Mark Meadows himself, somebody who has a, an, not by Rudy Giuliani, somebody who has a specific interest and is very uh, heavy on the Trump defense. No, by, by the Secret Service. Secret Service would just tell the truth, right? I mean, why, why do we, we there's no reason to believe that the, the Secret Service agents in this case are lying on behalf of Trump. They're saying this didn't happen. I'm not saying Cassidy Hutchinson is necessarily lying. Maybe that's what she got from the story. Maybe maybe even the agent embellished the story at the time because he was pissed off at Donald Trump. Who knows? We're going to find this out, but uh, it doesn't seem to be much there. There was some other stuff in the hearing. Let me give you a couple more clips. Uh, this is uh, one where um, Pat Cipollone is the uh, lawyer. Uh, he was uh, highly worried about potential charges after the fact here. And um, let me give you this from uh, this is from Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony yesterday. I remember Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat, he thinks Mike deserves it, he doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. To which Pat said something, this is effing crazy, we need to be doing something more. 
you know, look, I have told you that I don't really understand the delay in the in the calling uh, for for the people to get out of that building. I mean, I think 10 minutes into this, five minutes into it, one minute into it, Trump should have been on, on the Twitters and said, hey, guys, get the hell out of that building. You're no supporter of mine. If you're in that building, get out. We'll do this the right way. Uh, that's what I think he should have done. It took him too long to do that, and he's received criticism over that. I asked uh, Bill O'Reilly about this. You know, O'Reilly, of course, a good friend of President Trump, just did, recently did a tour with him. We asked him about this on radio, and I said, hey, like, you know, what was that delay? And his explanation was that, look, he, he didn't know what to do. You know, these are his supporters. Uh, they're doing something that I don't think anybody foresaw. Like, they're, you know, Trump supporters, generally speaking, have had a lot of rallies and not a lot of violence. So it was sort of unexpected. He didn't know how to react to it. You know, that may or may not be the case. The president hasn't really gone into detail as to what was going on in those moments. Uh, We may learn more from the January 6th committee. It just doesn't seem like we're going to learn more. Um, Pat uh, Cipollone was uh, was there as well, talking about um, a, a big part of the criminal possibilities here. He was very worried that something bad might come down uh, the pike. Now, remember, he's a lawyer. Uh, so this is this is his job. And he's very, you know, if you've ever dealt with a lawyer, we've done this with with lawyers uh, for broadcasts before. They don't want you to do anything. <laughs> you know, they don't want you to do anything. They're always worried about everything all the time. That's what their job is. Uh, here they are talking uh, about uh, Cipollone and and Hutchinson testifying on what his role was in the middle of all this. And Mr. Cipollone said something to you like, make sure the movement to the Capitol does not happen. Is that correct? That's correct. I saw Mr. Cipollone right before I walked out onto West Exec that morning. And Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if we make that movement happen. And do you remember which crimes Mr. Cipollone was concerned with? In the days leading up to the six, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or defrauding the electoral count. One of the interesting parts about all of this is the focus on the day itself where the riot occurred is a focus on something that is, you know, not nearly as problematic as some of the other stuff that went around the election. We still don't know what Trump's role was in some of that stuff. But like they keep focusing on whether he was going to go to the Capitol or not, or whether he was going to move to the Capitol. He wasn't going to the Capitol. The riot hadn't started yet. He wasn't going to the Capitol to join in the riot. He was going to be with his supporters. And that was something that I think clearly was important to him at that time. Agree with him or not, that's what he wanted to do. And what they're trying to basically see, make it seem like now, after telling us for months he was a scaredy cat, he was a wuss, he was nice and warm in the, uh, the Oval Office in the West Wing, and he was, uh, he was totally fine, protected, while he was sending his people in to do the dirty work at the Capitol. Now we have to believe the exact opposite. Now we're supposed to believe that he wanted to go, and he wanted to go with an armed mob. Right. He wanted to take all these guys that were out there with guns and go scare and maybe kill everybody in the Capitol building. This is really the the switch you're supposed to embrace now at this point. Now, this uh, there was another big part of this testimony, and it goes down this road where it talks about 
President Trump wanting a bigger crowd. Now, everything we know about Donald Trump indicates that he did want a bigger crowd. He always wants a bigger crowd. He does not like when there's empty patches where people are not standing. And what was happening here is there was a a secure area where Trump was speaking with a lot of people inside, but some empty spaces. Outside of that secure area, there were other people who were watching the speech but did not come in the secure area, largely, at least according to some of the security reports, because some of them were armed and they were not allowing anyone who was armed inside the fences, understandably. Well, Trump didn't like the fact that he had empty spaces. He wanted these guys to come in. And here is the big controversial part of this testimony. Listen. He was told again in that conversation, or was he told again in that conversation, that people couldn't come through the mags because they had weapons? Correct. And um, that people, and he, his response was to say they can march to the Capitol from, from the ellipse. Something to the effect of take the effing mags away, they're not here to hurt me, let them in, let my people in. They can march to the Capitol after the rally's over. They can march from they can march from the ellipse. Take the effing mags away. Then they can march to the Capitol. Got it. So they, he was saying, hey, get rid of the security. Let these people in. Now, that, I think, is going to cause affinity between Trump and the people who were there. Uh, and this is the problem that I think the left fundamentally in the media does not understand, which is, When we hear the word guns on the right, we don't think murder. That's not what we think. We don't think that people are there just because they have guns to kill everybody. We think that there are people who believe in the Second Amendment, people who want to protect themselves, people who are good people, good law-abiding citizens. That's how, that's our initial reaction to people with guns. Our initial reaction isn't fear. So that separation causes a lot of confusion here, or at least gives the left and the media an opportunity to act like they're confused about it. Because they went immediately down this road that, hey, wait a minute. Trump had armed people there. He knew there were some people who were armed and he wanted to march to the Capitol. Therefore, he wanted to march to the Capitol with armed men. Do you think they'll buy that? That's really where they went. Let me give you some examples. Trump said, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me, as an angry mob avoided metal detectors at his January 6th speech, said the ex-aide. Hutchinson says Trump knew January 6th attendees had women, excuse me, weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Again, the way that's presented over and over again, they're not here to hurt me, is like, well, they're here to hurt the people at the Capitol, not me, so I don't care. But that's not what that... Come on, guys. That's not what that means. What he's saying here, at least my understanding of it, is he's saying they're not going to shoot me if we let them in the in the secured area. That's not why they're here. They're my supporters. They're not going to shoot me. Don't worry about the security as much. I need these people in here. The media is trying to present this as, well, he knew these people had guns and they weren't there to hurt him. They were must have been there to hurt people at the Capitol for a violent coup. Uh, I don't effing care that they had weapons. Trump was aware his supporters were armed before he ordered them to march to the Capitol, says the January 6th hearings. Trump urged armed supporters to the Capitol. White House aide testifies. Trump sought to lead an armed mob to the Capitol on January 6th, aide says. My understanding of what the aide says was not that. Did not want to. That's not what she said. You're reading into that and putting that on her. The bottom line here is there's a big difference in perception and reality. You know, I don't see all guns as evil. I don't see them as immediately murderous. So I don't see them as something to be scared of. I don't have fear for guns. 
when we're out and we see people who are gu- uh, who ha- who have guns, generally speaking, they're law abiding citizens. And most of them I'm excited to have there because I know that if something goes down, someone will be able to do something about it. That's how I view guns. I understand in the media you might not view them that way, but you can't apply your feelings onto Donald Trump. He doesn't see gun owners the same way you do. Look, the truth is there is plenty to criticize about January 6th and probably more importantly, the the dates around that, what happened, how it was handled. A lot of it was not handled correctly. And we could find some interesting tidbits if there was an actual committee doing actual work here. But look, Donald Trump was not trying to lead an armed mob. That is completely rewriting history and not understanding the fundamental basics of gun ownership, especially as it appears to the right. Um, And he doesn't at all seem to be guilty of attacking the Secret Service. We only know that because the Secret Service came out and said it didn't occur. You know, if you're going to have this big testimony, this big surprise moment where going after the clavicle is the big punchline, maybe you check with the, with the Secret Service first and ask them if it occurred. Why on earth did this testimony even come out if when we go to the Secret Service, they're going to say it wasn't even a thing later on? Now, we haven't seen that testimony yet. We only have the reports of it, but they would not be reporting it if they were not certain it was going to happen because it demeans and destroys their point. You know, the truth is here that the Dems are looking around right now and they're seeing something pretty awful. They're seeing despair. They're seeing an election that is going to go down the crapper. They're seeing people upset about inflation and about Ukraine and about the border and about the economy and about everything else that Joe Biden has touched over the past couple of years. They see failure. They see despair. They have no arguments to push back against this. So they're latching on to the abortion argument. They're latching on to January 6th to try to come up with some reason they can at least try to hold purple, maybe some blue districts even. They're trying to do something because they know they're in trouble and they have to give some argument to the American people. And the only one left is screaming about January 6th. What you're seeing throughout these hearings is not some big condemnation of Donald Trump wanting to lead an armed mob to the Capitol. What you're seeing now from the left is desperation. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? How about sleeping less than six or seven hours a night? Uh, Do you know that's linked to reduced white cell, uh, bl- blood cell count? Those little things, you know, that help protect your bodies against illness, disease, by fighting viruses, bacteria, and more. Your sleep is incredibly important. I know when I don't sleep enough, I feel terrible. I want to have something that will help me sleep better, and that can help you tonight. That's why there's Beam Dream. Yes, the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you can get a special discount for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder, which is uh, it's basically like a, a good tasting, a healthy hot cocoa. You drink it before you go to bed, helps you get a great night's sleep. It has natural sleep promoting 
premium ingredients that are triple lab tested, contain no THC, and will leave you waking up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. There's always that 1%. That holds out those jerks. Don't love it? Get your money back, guaranteed. So you don't have to worry about this. There's no risk involved. For a limited time, you can get up to 35% off when you go to shopbeam.com slash stew and use the code stew at checkout. Shopbeam.com slash stew. Shopbeam.com slash stew. Use the code stew for up to 35% off. So it's great to have Tim Barton in the studio. He's president of Wall Builders and author of the American story, The Beginnings, which you can pick up wherever books are sold. Tim, how's it going? Good, Stu. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I mean, it's July 4th. We could got to have uh, Tim Barton on. Um, my understanding of the founding, I've been, I've been, I went to public school and uh, I've been watching the media lately. So my understanding is these were <laughs> evil, rich, white people um, who uh, were not at all religious in any way. And their main, the main focus of their existence was to make abortion safe, legal, and accessible for women. Well, it's interesting. It, it used to be slavery. Now it's abortion. Right, yeah. So, right, so <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're uh, sliding down that slope a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, and I love Fourth of July for lots of reasons because I love America. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great time to celebrate America. But certainly, if we look at the Fourth of July, it's crazy what people don't know about America. And so beside me, I have a picture known as the Presentation of the Declaration. So there was a committee of five who was in charge of drafting the Declaration. Thomas Jefferson was the main guy in charge. But then you have Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and Sherman and Livingston. They're the five guys that come up with the declaration. And this painting is significant because there were 56 people that signed the declaration. Most people could not name two or three or four who signed <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. And yet we're told today, right, all the things they believe. So, right, abortion rights, it's what they cared about. You don't even know who they were. Mm. And it's crazy going back and, and seeing the very reasons. Why do we separate in general? Well, there was a conflict have a document related to that. This is a signature from King George, who was the actual king we were trying to separate from in the American Revolution. It's it, it, super fascinating mm. to have something signed by King George, who was a young man at the time. But as America was was recognizing the the oppression, the, the tyrannical government, and saying we really should have some freedom, right? The government shouldn't be micromanaging our lives on lots of levels. That's what leads to the Declaration, where they go through and list all of the reasons that we should be separating from the king, all the problems that he doesn't, he doesn't believe in God-given rights. He doesn't believe in protecting our rights or, or recognizing that he's not the source of those rights. Mm. So a lot of interesting things that today, most Americans don't know who the founding fathers were, what they did. And sadly, even on the 4th of July, mo- most don't even know like who King George was. Who, who do we have a war against? People just don't know our history. But there's a lot of really fun lessons we could learn if we studied the founding fathers, who they were. And even at 4th of July declaration time, go back and read the declaration. It gives a lot of clarity for what they were doing and why they were doing it. Yeah, and there was real, uh, you know, first of all, you mentioned the slavery thing, that we know that the, the, the per, particularly the early versions of the Declaration had a lot, it was almost, you know, half of it was anti-slavery, basically. That was one of the main reasons given yes. for wanting to separate. But we're also told that these guys were not religious. They didn't care mm-hmm. about faith, that God was not important to them. They were just, they were deists and, you know, all this. Can you give us just some of, I know you guys have incredible amount of documents yes. that prove this to be wrong, but you kind of give us some of that because this is what we hear all the time. Yeah, so the, the, the fun example of this is of the 56 signers of the Declaration, now this picture only has 40-something, mm-hmm. doesn't have all the signers, but there were 56 signers of the Declaration. Of the 56 signers, there was only ever one who self-identified as a deist. Mm. That one was Benjamin Franklin. Mm. 
And that's actually in his autobiography. However, if you read the autobiography on the literal same page, he said that when he was 15, he had heard the teachings of, of some deists and he identifies them by name. And he said it, it seemed pretty convincing. And he he explored the ideas and decided he wanted to be a deist. He said, but then as he began further contemplation, he realized that even though some of their ideas might be true, that, that most of it didn't make sense. And actually it would be of no benefit to him or of any use to anyone else. So he quickly left those ideas mm. behind. That's in his autobiography. So the only founding father that ever self-identifies a deist, literally the same book he self-identified on the same page. <laughs> I mean, depending on the printing, it might be on the next page, right? But it's, mm-hmm. it's like literally in the same paragraph. Mm-hmm. He says, I quickly left that behind. And he goes on his autobiography to talk about the providence of God and recognizing God's hand in his life and what God did. The point is the vast majority of the founding fathers had a very different position than what we largely hear today. And, and there's people you could point to like a John Witherspoon, who was actually a, a pastor at the time he signed the declaration. There's people like Francis Hopkinson, who was a chaplain, I like point back since the camera got over here, mm-hmm. who was a chaplain during the American Revolution. But even one of the really cool things is the very first Bible printed in English in America is this Bible right here. There were originally 10,000 done. It's known as the Aiken Bible, the Bible of the Revolution. You've seen mm-hmm. one of these before. Yeah. But what's remarkable about it is when, when we go to war with Great Britain, um, really, they were our number one trade partner. We were English colonists, right? We were English colonies. But when we had a war, then they broke off trade. So we were no longer able to import Bibles. In 1777, there was a petition to Congress that we were having a Bible shortage in America. They said we need to import 20,000 new Bibles to America. And Congress approved. Problem was, under the Article of Confederation, they had no power to tax. They had no power to have money to import. So they said, that's a great idea. There's not much we can do about it. Mm-hmm. In 1781, that's where the last major battle is, the Battle of Yorktown with uh, the defeating of Cornwallis. The official printer of Congress, Robert Aiken, if you go back and look at any of the early printing documents, whether it be prayer proclamations, whatever else they printed, Robert Aiken was the guy who was in charge of the printing. He goes to Congress and he said, guys, we've had a Bible shortage for years. We haven't been able to import Bibles. The king had a law that you could not print Bibles if you didn't have an Anglican license. And the king refused to give an Anglican printing license to anybody in America because right. he wanted to control the market. Yeah. So he said, if we don't have to follow English laws anymore, do you think it's okay if I print a Bible? Congress doing what they do. They said, let's assign a committee. They'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So actually in the front of this Bible, it actually has the report of the first committee that Congress assigned to oversee the Bible. The committee chose two theologians. This is the report of the two theologians because they said, Robert Aiken, we're gonna let him print this. We're gonna make sure it's a good translation. The two theologians read the Bible. They said, it's really good. The committee has a report back to Congress. And then on this page right here, right here, it actually says the United States and Congress assembled. And if you jump down, it says, they recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. The first Bible printed in English in America was printed with the approval of Congress, but also a written recommendation in the front <laughs> for every American to read it. So the notion that they didn't believe in God or that, that, that they were separation of church and state people, it just reveals how little of their story we actually know. Gosh, that's an amazing, that's absolutely amazing. You know, I, it's so funny to hear that we, the way the left tries to, to present this stuff. I mean, they're outwardly recommending it. Um, you know, I also am stuck on the idea that Congress did not have the power to tax, and that <laughs> that seemed like it's a amazing. wonderful time. A wonderful <laughs> time. It's funny now because they wouldn't need the power to tax; they just print the money. 
Oh, right. So they wouldn't need to do it. They wouldn't use it, do it to uh, print Bibles, unfortunately. But that's probably what they would wind up doing. I mean, it really is a fascinating history. So as we get to, uh, I know you've got a bunch of goodies here. As we get close to July 4th, what else should people be thinking about? So one of the things, like along this notion of the power to print money or the power to tax, because Congress didn't have the power to print money or tax at that point, even looking at the revolution, like, how did that happen? How did we have a military? And this is where you can go to specific founding fathers who actually had wealth and they personally funded the militias. They personally mm. funded the military because Congress didn't have money, but individuals did. And, and there's really fun examples. One of the signers of the declaration was a guy named Thomas Nelson Jr. And he was a pretty wealthy guy. And one of the accusations at times people say about the founding fathers as a criticism is they were these rich, wealthy white guys. It's not a problem being wealthy. It's really a question of what you do with your wealth, right? right? right. If, if you're George Soros, it's a problem. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're doing the wrong I've thing with your that. wealth. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the founding fathers, the vast majority of them spent their wealth. The, the ones who started off wealthy before the revolution, at the end of the revolution, they were no longer wealthy. Many of them died in poverty because they spent all of their wealth for the cause of the revolution. Mm. Uh, one of the really cool stories is the last major battle, the Battle of Yorktown in 1781. General Thomas Nelson was had been a signer of the Declaration. Now he's a general four years later. And he is in charge of, of, of one of the readouts. And there's, there's cannons that are firing into the town. And he tells them, guys, we're, we're going to destroy this town. We're going to drive the British out. The French fleet to come up and then bottle the, the British in. Mm. And so as he's telling them to fire on the town, he is watching them fire on the town. Now, he was from Yorktown. His home the nicest home in Yorktown, that's where all the British officers decided, like, if we're going to have to stay in Yorktown, let's go to the nice home, right? (laughs) So they went to Thomas Nelson Jr.'s home. So they're held up in his home. Well, he goes to the men and notices nobody's shooting the nice house, his home. And he says, guys, why aren't you shooting like where the British officers are? And they said, well, sir, it's because it's your house and you have been the one personally taking care of us, funding. He's financing this Mm -hmm. militia, these troops. And they said, we would never fire on your house. Like, we, we just wouldn't do that. And recognizing the dilemma, he says, okay. He pulls out his wallet and he pulls out money. He says, I will give a bounty. Every cannonball that hits my house, I'm giving you these pound notes. So he literally paid to have his house destroyed <laughs> because he wanted the British gone. But, but this is where, when you look at the declaration and the founding father said they would pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors, a lot of people, especially on July 4th, as, as we celebrate and want to have good times, we don't realize the sacrifice that went into us being able to be free. And when you look at the founding fathers, incredible amount of sacrifice. At the 56 signers, 17 of them lost everything they had. When you talk about the guys mm-hmm. that died along the way or lost their family, their sons and their daughters, their wives along the way, they paid an incredible price for us to be free. And certainly there's fun stories like a Thomas Nelson Jr. firing on his own or paying men to fire on his own house. Like there's cool stories, but there's way more to the story than what most people know today. And certainly on 4th of July, we'd encourage people, go read the declaration, go back. But even as you learn their stories, you learn that these were real people who really cared about liberty and freedom, and they were going to do what it took Mm. to preserve liberty and freedom for rising generations. And if I'm not mistaken, his house still stands, right? Still to this day, people can go, they can tour it, and actually there are still cannonballs in the side (laughs) of his house to this day that they left because they're like, this is amazing, right? There's cannonballs. So they are restoring, or they've preserved it. Not restoring, they've preserved it so people can go tour his house and see the actual cannonballs from the American Revolution still in the side of his house. Jeez, that is wild. It's incredible. It's really incredible. Incredible to hear that. Um, okay, uh, we have time for maybe one more. What do you, what's your, what, what do you want to go Okay, with? so uh, let me go back to the faith of the Founding Fathers. Yeah. So uh, this is a land deed from the pot 
Potts family. Isaac Potts, during the, the Valley Forge winter, where brutal, brutal winter. So this is over here on the side wow. is Isaac Potts signature. Now the reason this matters, this was for a part of the property where the winter of Valley Forge was. That's where Washington was. And the cool story about this, Isaac Potts was a guy, he was a Quaker, and he was walking to his house one day and heard noise in the woods. He stopped and went to investigate this noise in the woods. He found the commander of the US forces, George Washington, was mm. on his knees. He was praying, looking up to heaven, and he decided to stop and listen to see what was going on. He then returns to his house, and when he got home, the report was that he walked inside, he closed the door, slammed the door, he went over to the kitchen table, put his elbows on the table, <laughs> put his head in his hands, and said, it's over, it's over, and his wife's like, what happened, right? Our kids die, like, what's over, right. what, what happened? And he said, I just came from the woods. He said, I heard the commander of the American forces praying. And when a man prays like that, his side is going to win. The war is over. It's over. It's all over. Well, he was a Quaker. He also was a loyalist. So he was on the side of the British. This is wow. a guy who saw George Washington pray. And from just hearing the prayer of Washington, seeing him pray, he was so convinced that we were going to win the revolution because of the prayer life of George Washington. And this again goes back to the fact when you actually study original documents and learn the story, you realize there's a lot more to the story and it's a lot different than what we hear today. These unquestionably were people of faith, their faith motivated them to fight for freedom so you and I could enjoy freedom today. Mm. Well, you and your dad have done such great work in forming people and letting them know that this stuff actually is real and uh, we have hope for our country. I think a lot of the times you hear this stuff and it makes you kind of overcome the craziness of the day. Uh, it's like, it's good to look back and think that we are built on a really strong foundation. Uh, Tim Barton, he's president of Wall Builders. Uh, he's the author of The American Story, The Beginnings. Make sure to go out and get a copy right now. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks, Stu. I appreciate it. You know, every year outside the Super Bowl, you always see the fetus truck people. And the fetus truck people are people that have a truck, and there's just a, a pictures of awful-looking fetuses on the side. Like just the most disgusting, horrible imagery. And I can understand wanting to slap people in the face with this stuff sometimes. But I don't know that it wins anybody over. I'm, I'm, I, maybe they have the best intentions, but I don't know that it wins anybody over to the pro-life cause. Sometimes I think you need to be a little more subtle than that. That's why we have the 624-22 collection. It's available now. You can get the sticker, the hat, the mug, the T-shirt, all available at StuDoesMerch.com. It's StuDoesMerch.com. Get the code Stu10. Fetuses not included. You know, legend has it that once, once upon a time, there was a line of fashionable and customizable belts. Unbelievable wallets. Uh, socks that kept your feet warm but weren't like super thick like winter socks. The legend isn't very well written, but what I will say is that it is true. Yes, grip6.com slash stew does actually exist. It's a small company in Utah, sells in the United States, but all over the world, and they source almost everything they make, they use to make the products right here in America. Even out of the wool, which I, most companies are like, um, oh, it's way too expensive to get wool here in America. Grip6 says we can make it happen. Uh, they have great minimalist belts, these really cool designed wallets that aren't like George Costanza wallets that make you kind of sit unevenly. Uh, they have these cool loops on the end. You can get your cards out really easily. It's just a great company, and I think you're going to like their stuff quite a bit. Plus, they actually like the country. 
I know it's a crazy idea. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew to save 15%. Grip the number six.com slash stew. Get 15% off today at grip6.com slash stew. If you happen to be a small business owner, which one is more of a challenge to you? Uh, is it inflation costs or is it COVID-19 safety protocols? Well, we've asked, of course, a bunch of business owners and we now have the answer. Yes, it's uh, it's inflation by a big margin. Here's the poll. Uh, this is back in, in quarter three of 2021. It was pretty even. Uh, quarter four, 2021, pretty even. And then it started to change. In quarter one of 2022, it was a 33 to 24% edge for inflation over COVID-19. And now it's 44 to 15 inflation over COVID-19. A couple of reasons for that, of course. Number one, inflation keeps getting worse. Number two, uh, the COVID-19 thing fades deeper and deeper into our memory uh, hole. So well, that's good. Uh, that's at least nice. Uh, I don't know if it's going to protect people who are on the slopes and the suicide six, though. The suicide six is a ski resort in Vermont, and they're going to change the name because it's insensitive. You see, suicide is a, a scary word. And, you know, when they're talking about they made a statement about, oh, it's mental health awareness. All right. The problem I have with this is, if you change, like Suicide Six tells you what the what the the slopes are like, right? Difficult. You'll probably kill yourself if you go on them, right? If you name it something like the Magical Bunny Slope, people are go- they're going to have children up there going down these like steep mountains off of rocks. I just feel like it's a bad idea. Maybe the the wokeness aspect should not scare people, uh, or should remain, uh, get rid of the wokeness and keep the suicide name so that people know that they are virtually definitely going to die if they go there. And finally, uh, Nancy Pelosi has received communion in the Vatican along with her husband, Paul. Uh, it was a big, big, you know, people weren't sure if she would get it because of, you know, her love for ending the lives of children. But apparently that's okay now with the Catholics uh, in some way, uh, the, the Pope at least. I don't know how Catholic the Pope is. A lot of my Catholic friends say he's not all that Catholic. Um, but that's the, uh, that's the case. It does appear that Paul Pelosi took communion 19 times and then ran over a bunch of children on the way home. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, even if you don't listen to it, honestly. Just subscribe to it. I mean, it makes me feel better. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars if you leave a review. Love the blaze. Love yours and Glenn's banter. Thank you so much. We, uh, I mean, I like my part of the banter. So I half agree with you. Lisa says, this is the first time I have watched your channel and I subscribed. Great talking points. Thank you, uh, Lisa. Terrence <laughs> Terrence on YouTube writes, frequency division multiplex was my introduction to communications way back in the day. Lots of numbers to remember, and then you learn to develop a rhythm. 6, 24, 22, flows smoothly and has symmetry. Just saying, love the show. The 6, 24, 22 merch is available at stewdoesmerch.com. Use the code stew10 and save yourself 10 bucks. Uh, algorithms are the only thing I will be engaging with today. That's right. Feed the robots. Mm-hmm. Algorithmic engagement comments. Click like right now on the YouTube video and drop a comment below. Even if it just says, hey, algorithmic engagement comment, uh, I would really appreciate it. Helps the algorithms. Helps feed them. Danny writes, the stupid show is my favorite stupid show, except for when Glenn is doing Wednesday night special, and then that's my favorite. Well, part of that is because I intentionally do very bad shows on Wednesdays uh, so that Glenn gets the attention he needs so, so much. Okay, so here's what happened. 
in, uh, in Switzerland, there's a new hotel. And, you know, you think a hotel this, in Switzerland is going to be this beautiful, beautiful place. It's incredibly uh, luxurious. And, you know, I mean, this is a Swiss vacation, right? Well, this one's a little bit different. This one, it's outside. Um, there's no walls. Um, and there's just a bed basically sitting there. Oh, it's by a gas station. So it's a little bit different than the ones you're used to, but this is legitimately uh, a place you can go stay, apparently, and you can sit there, and it's by a gas station. You're not really going to get any sleep. They also do have a couple of nice ones outside by, uh, by mountains and such, but the, the truth is they don't want you to sleep. They want you to instead ponder the world's crises. So it's like the Greta Thunberg of hotels. You're not going to like it. She's going to haunt your dreams. Uh, but at the end, you'll think you're solving the climate, at least. And that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. It's going to cost you a few hundred bucks, but don't worry about it. <laughs>